Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cast Strength Pod or on Twitter at Cast Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Hello and welcome back to Cast Strength, the Whiskey Podcast. Uh, I'm Torin, I'm joined again by my brother and my co-host, Ronan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, how are you doing? I am not bad. It's been a while. Aye, uh, it's um, getting increasingly more difficult to actually get a podcast out there for get the same time, now that we're slightly further apart, and to get us in the same room at the same time or whatever, or virtually in the same room. Nah, it's good to get another podcast recorded. I would definitely say my main set is that this will be a better whiskey than the the Dalian. Yeah, yeah. I I think I would agree with you. I think after the last podcast, um, I said to you like, can you make the next one a good one? I don't really want to be tasting whiskies that don't quite make the Scotch whiskey league, and that's a very polite way to put it. Uh, also, listening back to the most recent podcast, I uh, just thought it was quite boring. I didn't know if we were. I didn't know if we were. Uh, we were rusty. We hadn't recorded the one for a while there as well. But I was like, this isn't quite as exciting as I'd hope it'd be. It isn't exciting as the previous ones. Uh, maybe just less enthusiastic because of the, we didn't enjoy the whiskey. Possibly. Oh, not, not that we didn't enjoy it. We just didn't think it was. As good as other yeah, it was. It wasn't a showstopper. Um, so I've went out. Oh, well, I don't. We're all about showstoppers. Nah, we're not in this to try pretty poor whiskies. I mean, there's no, there's no enjoyment. We're not, we're not like. Uh, it'd be a fairly interesting podcast if your concept was let's try shite whiskies. Aye, well, no, that would that would be fine. But the this. Yeah, we're wanting to try good whiskies, and fair enough, every whiskey we try isn't going to be to our taste, and it's up to us to tell the truth, basically, and say, look, like, well, maybe tell the truth, but also give a kind of unbiased um, account of it. But I, I'm not. I'm sorry. What did you say? I was saying it's tell our truth, not necessarily the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Our opinion. Uh, and there's no there's no enjoyment in like slating a whiskey. You see some whiskey reviews that like you know. It is what it is. They go right through a whiskey. They don't pull any punches. I've got no problem with that. That's up to them. But I just wouldn't really enjoy that. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty hard to find a bad whiskey. Um, I do have a problem with that. The, 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 the cynic in me would suggest that the reason people go absolutely through whiskeys um, is is only for a reaction from people. Uh, and it tends to be that the whiskies that they go through are either really popular at the time um, or are new batches of a really popular whiskey I'd think they tend to I'll go through this just because it'll get more um, listens or views on YouTube or whatever it's my, my opinion fair enough well we went a wee bit off topic there but what I was going to say was that I've came up with Two segments for the show. We don't have any. We don't have any segments. Well, we have we have the whiskey news, which I listened to another whiskey show, a whiskey podcast called Not Another Whiskey Podcast. It's with two guys, two really knowledgeable fellows that have been in the industry for a long time. To my surprise, they also have a segment called the Scotch Whiskey News, 
I, ch- I went and checked that we started a podcast before them, so we have the rights to that. And uh, I'm pretty sure if you put the on the end of something, it means it's entirely different. Well, that's that's what most distilleries have done, hasn't it? <clears throat> I mean, my, my lawyers are contacting them as we speak, but I did come up with two new segments. We'll not get onto them now. We'll get onto them in a wee bit, but they'll they'll potentially be rubbish and they'll potentially be good. But I think. It's up to uh, the listeners to decide that. Uh, there is a wee bit of listener uh, involvement. A cryptic clue, you might say, and uh, we'll be awaiting the listener's uh, response before the next podcast. Um, do you want to start off with the whiskey we're trying today? We've spoke about how we are wanting to try a good, a good whiskey. Um, I'm not going to tell you what this whiskey is, but it really is up there with like the OG of whiskey distillery isn't it it's probably not as big as McAllen it's probably not as big as Glenlivet but it's yeah, yeah. it's up there close but I'll say no more we're getting back in line with um, a nice owned family owned um, distillery um, people might have thought that we were speaking about Spring back there but we're probably speaking about the the more well maybe not more famous but the as famous family owned distillery in Glenfarclas um, so you, just, you said you wanted a, a good whiskey. Um, I stayed away from the one hundred and five. Um, I, I I think a few podcasts ago I was hinting to or like I was hinting to you say get get one hundred and five. It's kind of a wee bit different, but it's also very widely available. Um, I mean, the one hundred and five is a good whiskey. Yeah. And um, I guess sales manager and brand of a global brand ambassador for Glenfarclas once once told me that the one hundred and five is the most popular Glenfarclas sold in Asia. Um, I mean, this is a few years ago now, but he said because it's it is easier to say one hundred and five as we've just demonstrated than saying Glenfarclas all the time. Yeah. It's easier to order it at a bar or in a shop or something. So, but we are not trying the one hundred and five. We are trying the 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 one five fifteen year old. Yeah, which is um, arguably easier. To say because yes. it's got one one less number. But everybody's got a fifteen-year-old. I suppose nobody's got a hundred and five-year-old. No, maybe God Farkless with some of their older bottlings. I'm pretty sure they have like sixty-plus-year-old well, whiskies. Aye, with the family casks they re- they release, um, and they do have some pretty old bottlings. Oh, is that a wee doggy? Aye, the dog is, will be in the background, and if you hear a thud at any point, that'll be him throwing his weight around at the door to try and get him to see what I'm doing. Yeah, so the Glenfarclas 15-year-old. Yes. Again, we should probably say this every podcast. I've had quite a few Glenfarclases, but I've probably tried a lot more bourbon, um, independently bottled Glenfarclases, and um, that's that's typically not what they're famous for, is it? No, I... I was always, I always presumed that Glenfarclas was 100% all in also sherry casks that they bought. Um, but from what I could find about Glenfarclas and looking online, it just says sherry casks. So that obviously leaves it open for other other styles of sherry. But I've always assumed that it was all in also sherry. And that they'll, um, they'll sell off to independent. Ah, independent. Well, I think it's what only Camhead that can name it as Glenfarclas or whatever, but they sell off the, the bourbon or whatever to the bourbon casks to other independent bottlers. Um, I don't think they do a lot, if any, to, to blenders or anything, but yeah, they traditionally just use sherry casks for their core range. 
traditional releases. So yes, this uh, Glenn Farkless bald at forty six percent. I would then assume it is not your fellows with no one to colour, um, which I think I've been told by something from Glenn Farkless as well. So I think it's pretty safe to say. Fifteen years old. Sherry casks, I would presume all are also bald at 46, natural colour, and non-chill filled. I mean, it is up there with some of the best space-egg whiskies I think you can get. Gunfarkless is sort of well-known for being a, one of the best space-egg whiskies you can get. And hopefully this 15-year-old doesn't disappoint. What are you getting on the nose there? Yeah, I have I have been sitting kind of nosing it. I'm kind of very interested in this um, dram. The nose is yeah really nice. It's that's a terrible way to describe a whiskey, but it, yeah, it's really nice. It's really inviting. It's got a lovely kind of rich sherry note. That's what we kind of expect from it. A kind of a spiciness, a kind of kind of meaty, a dark kind of malty flavour, like a roasted malt or a chocolate malt for any for any home brewers out there. And then a lovely kind of sweet honey um, coming in the rear there. It's, it's yeah, it's, I, I like that note. What are you getting? Uh, I was getting a lot of quite nutty, I found, and uh, hazelnuts and almonds. Some pecan, citrus fruits, some light coffee notes, and then things like burnt cinnamon. Actually, getting a wee bit of sort of sherry cream, but that's also just a a nice sherry note to it. Yeah. A very inviting, um, a very inviting nose. Uh, yeah, very, very good. Um, can run through a wee bit of the history of the Farkless very, very quickly. Um, obviously, it's been family owned, um, really, its whole existence. Uh, it was founded in 1836. It founded, uh, Robert Hay founded the distillery on his original site in 1797. So, so, so he was like illicitly distilling on that site since seventeen eighty seven, and then he got a got a license. Legally started. Yeah, legally started. So that's that's not the Grant. That's not the Grant family that we know that own Glenfartless today. This is pre Grant family of Glenfartless. Yes, that's, that's pre Glenfartless Grant family. Okay. Oh, um, so in eighteen sixty five, Robert Hay passes away, and John Grant and St George which is a theme that you'll, you'll hear throughout, buys the distillery, release it to John Smith at the Glenlivet Distillery. Um, nearly knocked over my glass there. So in 1870, John Smith resigns in order to start Craig and Moore Distillery, which is a very good whiskey in itself, and giant G. Grant money to take which is obviously John and George. Um, in 1889, John Grant dies and George Grant takes over. And this is where I've heard this story been told quite a few times and I get confused with who's actually who at this point. Uh, in 1890, George Grant dies and his widow um, Elsie takes over the licence with sons John and George. Um, John and George Grant take over and form the Glen Farkless Can Live Distillery Company with the infamous Patterson, Elder and Co., which we'll go on to later. Um, eventually, 1898, it's practice and becomes bankrupt. Confarkless encounters financial problems. And in 1898, um, Patterson becomes bankrupt. Confarkless encounters financial problems. But in 1914, John Grant leaves due to ill health and his son George continues to distill it alone. Um, 
And then in 1949, John, John Grant Sr. dies, his sons George Scott and John Peter inherit the distillery. So already there's been a few Georges and a few Johns. Um, usually, usually I would expect you to at least have it written out the book, but today you've went for it straight out the book. <laughs> I, was busy, I, had to go get, I had to go get a haircut. <laughs> Aye, no, that's that's class. <laughs> like, wait, so save on paper. Aye, save on paper. Nineteen sixty, Glenfarclas uh, has increased in size. Uh, stills are increased from two to four. The floor moldings eventually been abandoned in nineteen seventy two, and then another enlargement in nineteen seventy six, moving up to six stills. George S. Grant dies and succeeded as company chairman by his son John L. S. Grant. So we're on to the, the fifth generation of John or George. Right. Um, through uh, from 2002 onwards, it is John L. S. Grant and George S. Grant, the now managing director and sales director, run Clonfarclas to keep it family owned. Um, and I think from that point, like 2002 onwards, Clonfarclas has become, so I would say, synonymous for the whisky industry and a massive, massive uh, whisky band. Yeah, you're right. You're, to- you're talking about Farkless as the 13th most sold single malt um, in the world. It's just ahead of Lagavulin. Um, I can't remember who's just in front of it. I actually think it would be further further up on that list, uh, but probably when you you think about the Highland Parks and the Macallan and kind of the Diageo might, you're probably reckoning in all those distilleries would, would sell greater than... than little family-owned Glenfarclas, but I'm saying that in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way because they're anything but little, and to be family-owned is great, and you look at distilleries like Springbank, still family-owned, and then a lot of the kind of smaller distilleries that have just opened up are family-owned or opened up kind of very recently. Glenfarclas are the benchmark. Glenfarclas are the goal. I know they have... Uh, coming up to 200 years more history than a lot of these distilleries um, but if you want to be a worldwide success 13th most sold single malt whiskey but also be family family owned then um, I guess Gunfartless is the distillery that you look at yeah, I guess it sort of speaks to the I guess it's sort of mindset of the family I presume through the years there would have been opportunities for them to sell or move on or maybe when times were a wee bit more difficult and single malt wasn't as sailing as, as it is today that the mindset of to keep something family owned and it's obviously something that runs through the generations of, of Grand Cycle and Farkless to, to keep the distilleries family owned and perhaps the 13th best selling single malt for a, a relatively medium size producing distillery now um, it's um, and so it's been commended that something can be over well, 200 years old, just under 200 years, and uh, still be family owned. And I actually presume the fact they're still unchill followed and no added colour is still try to operate with the best of intentions as well, not, not taking any short corners. I think you see that when you see their family casks coming out and the age that they're at. They're not, they've got casks that well and let it mature. It's probably the benchmark for a lot of these younger distilleries. Yeah, and I would just ask you, obviously, uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you now know that me and Ronan, we aren't in the same room anymore. We're, um, well, in different parts of the country, basically. So, 
on different islands. We're on different islands. That is true. Uh, but I never, I never bought this bottle. So Ronan bought a bottle and then sent me a sample. So I'm unsure how much this 15 year old costs. Um, so yeah, if you could let us know that. Um, I think it was around fifty-five to sixty quid. Yeah, um, which is probably. Can't really remember. It's I thought, uh, quite a decent price for a fifteen-year-old. Yeah. Um, also, bought it from Aston Mall. I know we had the, the, the podcast that is when we were in the same room was preaching about buying from local, but because we are now on different islands, Master of do that convenient wee thing where they, you can buy a wee free CL and obviously send it to a different address. So it's really, really helpful for us. Um, uh, yes, but I mean... Uh, for transparency, going forward, if we don't... Like, I'm... I'll be in Glasgow a couple of times over the next month so we can swap samples there, but when it's not possible, we're... Uh, we're buying from the big dogs, which we could lead us into kind of whiskey news, which is, you know, a wee bit, it's a wee bit redundant, I feel, the whiskey news when we're not even delivering the news anymore because we're, we're delivering old news, which is like against the rules of news. Cause, well, technically old news is old news. Yeah. When people say there's new news. Yeah, unless you witness it. Yeah, I suppose. But what I was going to say, and this is why it kind of relates to Master of Malt, was that Pernod Ricard signed the Whiskey Exchange, Master of Malt's fiercest rivals. Uh, in, in the online retailing uh, world, definitely in the UK as well. I've not tried to buy whiskey in America or other parts of Europe. But I presume they're a website there as well, at least in Europe. Uh, but that is probably the biggest whiskey news, although it's not too relevant anymore because I think it happened over a month ago. Uh, but it's it's pretty big, and it now leads because uh, Whiskey Exchange also have a auction side of their business. I'm sure. So it leads it leads a whiskey producer to also own an auction, a whiskey auction, which. You know, throws up a couple of questions. I don't know if that's wrong or right, but it definitely seems a wee bit like seems a wee bit wrong. Uh, well, yeah, I presume Pernod Ricard weren't buying the whiskey exchange or specialty drinks, whatever they really bought um, for their auction house. I presume, and they've got some cracking shops in London. And I know the the shops in London then facilitate a lot of the whiskey festivals around England, maybe a couple in Scotland. So there's probably a probably in it the online sales as well. It's you you're buying an already established um, website system. And uh, I guess maybe not fan base, fan base is probably the wrong one. Users of that website that use the use the the, the website to, to buy balls so you're sort of buying that which is probably could be a lot cheaper than actually creating one for yourself. Okay. Okay. So, any more whiskey news? Um, yeah, I've got a wee bit. McCallum and Vale's chocolate-inspired whiskey. So that's irrelevant. That's all I've got in that. Clydeside reveals their first single bottle, which you have bought a bottle. I've bought a bottle. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I was thinking about maybe getting two bottles, one to keep, one to drink, but I reckon just get it open and get it get it drunk, you know what I mean? It's get it open, get it, get it open, get it tasted. 
get it open, get it tested, and also next time in Glasgow get a get a tour. Although that could be two birds with one stone. Like um, we could get a tour, then get it tasted on that tour, and that would save me opening it at least for a while, and which would mean it would last a lot longer. Two pieces of Johnny Walker news. One of which is not interesting. The other one is slightly interesting. Um, Doctor Jim Bevage is set to retire after forty years of service in the industry. Doctor Jim, no way. A man that was literally destined to work in the whiskey, uh, the drinks industry, at the very least. Yeah. So he's retiring after forty years as Johnny Walker blender. Uh, forty years. 40 years of wow. service in the industry. Wow. Go well, two, de- two decades spent as Master Blender and an appropriately named Dr. Emma Walker is taking over. Ah, they love it. They love it down in Kilmarnock or whatever Johnny Walker's base now. I'm not sure it's still Kilmarnock. Nah. But I bet, um, I bet it's like the Ramones that sort of just decided that if you're becoming the Master Blender of Johnny Walker, you must change your name to Walker. It's, it's in the contract. Which is, for anyone that doesn't know, as if you joined the Ramones, the band, obviously, you, you had to change your last name to Ramone. Very interesting. Um, and the thing I take for that is another female master blender uh, in the industry, which, when I was on a t- I'm not sure if I mentioned the last podcast, but I was on a tour of Lagavulin. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lady giving the tour said that Females are better master blenders than males, like probably on average. Um, but the like the female sex is better than males just because they have more taste buds or something like that. And it is pretty common nowadays for master blenders to be females. This is a whole can of worms. Uh, no, I think it's all right because I said to her that's like reverse sexism. Yeah, I guess. It's also just categorising people as two things, male and female, but... Mm. Well... It's a, diff- it's a, it's a diff- I couldn't think of the words to say what, <laughs> what you're saying to, to not step on somebody's toes, I guess, but... Uh, right, without... That is, a, with, that is a bold thing for a tour guide to say. <laughs> it still is, isn't it? I think that's totally fine. I think that's quite refreshing, to be honest, saying, like, females are better than this than males. It's like, well, that's fair enough. I mean, if it was the other way around, you'd be like, you can't say that. That's pro- it's not true, and it's, you can't say it. But, yeah. A whole lot better that there are more women in the industry, because it creates a better industry, and, and not be dominated purely by white men. Mm. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, will, we, will we move on to the next segment? Yes. So this is called... Um, sorry? I was just thinking, we, we, we've done this long enough to where we need to start getting jingles for our second. Yeah, yeah. I see when, see when, like, it, I, I wasn't like an editor of music or, or podcast. I needed to learn all that. And then once it came into making jingles for segments, I did think it's probably appropriate. However, um, I just like can't be arsed doing that. Like, if somebody wants to make me jingles and send them to me, because you can't actually just use sound without risk of being well taken to civil court, I guess, for like 
using somebody's property and you end, you'd end up owing them money if they did it probably wouldn't happen uh, but we could just make up a jingle just give me a second ooh malt busters so this is malt busters this is the new segment um, it is based off a other segment from another well we're not a radio show but a radio show from uh, a few years ago now with two Three very famous now people, uh, but I think they stole it from another show as well. So it's like third or fourth hand stolen, and I've turned it into to do with whiskey. So it's malt busters, nothing to do with dram busters, which I'm pretty sure is a club or another podcast or something. I can't remember, but it's malt busters. It's my segment, and basically what you got to do here is I will give you a cryptic clue and you Ronan have to guess the distillery so I've done a few easy ones and a few hard ones uh, and what I'll do is I'll give I'll give you an easy one and I'll give you a hard one and then I'll give I'll give you the answers so we can have an example and then I'll give you three other ones and we'll leave it to the next podcast to reveal the answers and the public you listeners can email in. You can um, you could even get us on Instagram. That's where you'll actually find us the best. Or I was thinking you could phone Ronan with your answers, and his mobile number is. Is that right? No, it's not right. Um... I'll be very interested to see who receives those. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be you. Right, okay, so we'll, we'll go for uh, distillery number one. And remember, it's, it's, you need to kind of think outside the box, maybe inside the box sometimes. It's not going to be really hard. Chuckling. This is the easy one. Um, yeah. We'll go, we'll go for an easy one, for, an easy one first. So... Chuckling Amphibian. Yeah, that's Laphroaig. Right, there you go. You get it? Laphroaig. Laphroaig. Okay, it's along those lines. The second one, we'll give it, we'll give you, because I don't want to give it four for next podcast, I'll give it three, so I'll do another trial one. Indian lentil dish that you can't get enough of. Dalwini? Close. It's Dal more, because you can't get yeah. can't get enough of it. You want more. For some reason, I was thinking when when he winner. So I was like, well, that's a. Yeah. But the Indian lentil dish being a lentil dal, yeah. Do, do you think this? Do you think this has got somewhere to go? I can't see why this wouldn't work, especially with such a good jingle. Okay, no problem. What was the, what was the jingle again? Ooh, malt busters. I'll play it there. Eh, right, okay, so these these three are for next podcast. So you can say, oh, I've got, you know them, maybe, but don't, don't shout them out. So the first one, so number one, a pirate welcomes the host of The Weakest Link. A pirate welcomes the host of The Weakest Link. And the next one is 2.54 centimetres. Which area do you wish me to travel to? And it's a kind of question mark at the end there. So that's 2.54 centimetres. Which area do you wish me to travel to? Uh, 
have you got that one? No. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the and the third one, the third one is a Scottish valley, with Frodo's fellowship and the Argentinian Marxist revolutionary of Cuba. So I think I think the start of that is is pretty. It's pretty. What was that last? What was the last one again? So the last one was a Scottish valley with Frodo's fellowship and the Argentinian Marxist revolutionary of Cuba. So he was an Argentinian Marxist and he was a revolutionary of Cuba. That's uh, the only bit I've got. <laughs> well, well, it's, well, we'll run. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to seeing what the listeners answer. Okay, so you can. Or, or, or hearing. Yeah, so you can email us at cashstrengthpodcast. That's totally wrong. You can message us on Instagram and on Twitter at cashstrengthpod. You could email us at cashstrengthpodcast at gmail.com. And also, if you rewind the podcast a wee bit, you'll hear Ronan's personal mobile phone number. So you could give him a wee message then. And if you don't have any social media that you listen to this on iTunes or any of the other places that you listen to your podcasts, you can leave it in a review. Give us a bad review, but you can leave your answers under review. You'll probably not read them. I read them. I write them all. I write. I've, <laughs> I've, I've bought so many different devices to leave so many different reviews, effectively. Right, so we'll move on for that segment. And you've been tasting that. You've been... Um, oh, and I've got another, but it's for later on. Um, you've been tasting that, and if you could run through the tasting notes, and I'm just going to pour myself a wee bit more of a dram. So what I started to get on the taste, uh, ripe fruit, a bit of ginger, dry sultanas, and some grapes in it, honey, butterscotch, a little bit of apricots as well. So what you're really seeing here is the fact that this is a very fruity, slightly dry, but a very, very fruity and approachable whiskey that. Banana chips and pineapple, yes, I think is obviously huge sherry notes. Um, but looking past the obvious, Christmas cake, brown sugar, glazed cherry sort of thing. You start to get banana chips, pineapples, a little bit of sweet jam, a little bit of orange peel as well. Yeah, so big sherry palette. Doesn't disappoint, does exactly what you think it's going to do. And we provide a lot of other flavours flavors as well. Really well balanced and rounded. Easy to drink, but thick, good mouth feel. Um, the honey has got that sort of thick honey sort of feel to it. It's very, very enjoyable and, I mean, I, I, I don't think that comes as any surprise. Um, I think you're expecting good things with Eklund Parkless, Eklund Parkless 15 and the palate really doesn't disappoint. It delivers what you'd expect and the, the sort of well-balanced, well-balancedness of it gives you a little bit extra. Yeah. Um... I'm actually really enjoying this. Um, I, I apologies there. I had to do a wee dash to get the rest of my sample. I'm I'm going to Oban tomorrow, so I thought I'll just do half the dram tonight, and I'll maybe enjoy the half in Oban tomorrow. Um, but it's that nice that I've kind of been sipping it too much, so I needed to go get that other the other half of that sample. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, it tastes really great. Um, it's lovely, yeah, kind of dark fruits. I'm getting a kind of cranberry like kind of red berry but a wee bit of a citrusy note there getting that nuttiness i don't know if you mentioned walnut but i think it is walnut 
Yeah. Christmassy, definitely. He's got that rich, typical sherry flavours. Really quite sugary, maybe like kind of demerara sugar, buttery, thick. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's it's, it's a great fifteen year old whiskey. It isn't a typical space side one dimensional kind of thing. It's it has a bit more going to it. It is that got a wee touch of. Yeah, I want to say again, a wee touch of mustiness um, and yeah, that kind of meatiness as well, which is coming from the sherry. But I think it also comes from uh, a part of the process as well. Uh, if you want to hear a wee bit about that. Of course. Yeah, so the really interesting thing about Glenn Fartless's, uh process, for me anyway, is that this when they take the middle cut, they start at 72%. Now, that's not unusual. Uh, so when I say middle cut, I mean the heart's cut or the part that's taken away uh, from the distillation run that they then fill into casks. So this is the part you drink after years of maturation. Um, so you take... So they start collecting that at 72%. And what most distilleries do is they cut it onto tails uh, or faints um, at about 63.5%. But what Glenfarclas do is they cut it at 58%. So that's really cutting into the faints a good bit. And if you've ever kind of stood next to a distillation, it's not a gradual process uh, from really nice tasting uh, middle cut or hearts cut to kind of the faints. It actually happens really quickly and you and it's kind of within one or two percent. You're like, wow, that's, that's pretty nasty. And it typically does happen at... 63% or maybe just a wee touch less. With peated whiskies, you would delve deeper into the faints. You'd probably go down to about 58%. And that's just because there's more phenols in the lower uh, ABV alcohol. But with unpeated whiskey, it's quite unusual to go into uh, the distillation that far and you wouldn't usually go down to 58%. And that doesn't really mean anything. What does it impact on the taste? And I think that's where you're getting that kind of meatiness. I think that's where you're getting that mustiness. And it's, yeah, it's really, really rich flavour. Yeah, it's sherry cast-mashured. Yeah, it's Christmassy. But it has a wee bit more. Do you think that's why they're cut kind of so low? To give it that mustiness, to give it that sort of... Just that difference that traditional sherry-mashured whiskies might not have because they're cut at the traditional 63.5 yeah I, th- I think so I don't think I think every distillery would have tried this like, mm-hmm. like if you can take a bigger middle cut you can make more whiskey out of the same oh, distillation yeah. you can make more money every distillery has probably tried this especially every distillery that dates back to 1838 or whatever you said it started 36 36 close enough um, every distillery would have tried that but it's, it wouldn't have worked for every distillery. Not at all. It wouldn't have worked for most of the distilleries. It only It's only work, going to work for a handful of distilleries somehow, but it does work for Glenfarclas. It, it works really well. Maybe along the years they've hidden this kind of heavier or meatier spirit with sherry casks. Maybe not hidden. Maybe matched it up, um, married it to these sherry casks. Yeah. Maybe that's why you don't see many Glenfartless in bourbon cask because maybe the bourbon doesn't um, mature the whiskey as well. But 
basically the other parts of the distillery are equally as exciting for me anyway uh, you've got the largest mash tun in Scotland so you've got a 16.5 ton semi louter mash tun um, which must be massive um, you've got 12 stainless steel washbacks we prefer wooden washbacks but you can't win them all you've got 102 hours uh, average fermentation minimum 60 hours so um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well it says average 102 I, th- I, th- I think it's kind of I've not known a distillery yet to actually average out their fermentation hours maybe they do but if your minimum is at 60 but your average is at 102 now you're a lot better than math than, than, than I am which, what is your top end of your fermentation need to be to then average out to 102? Ah, but when you're talking, there's 24-hour plant, seven days a week, two 12-hour mashes a day. I mean, I'm not that good at maths to work out how many fermentations that is a year. But if you had a few at 60 and the rest at 102, the average would probably still be 102. Or slight, slightly under. If you're a mathematician, if you, are a, if you are a mathematician and listening to this podcast, <laughs> then your ears, your ears are bleeding. <laughs> uh, your ears are bleeding. And once they stop bleeding, and you've consulted a doctor, please email in with the correct answer. Thank you. Yeah, add it onto your uh, malt busters uh, answers. <laughs> Um, oh, we need to think of a prize for Maltbusters. Um, it can be a shout out on the podcast if you want it, but only if you want it. Um, so they've got six stills, three washed, um, three spirit, obviously. And in pandemic Scotland 2020, so I've got the most up to date figures, uh, they produced 1.8 million litres of alcohol. In 2021, they're wanting to produce 2.5. So you said they were middle. They probably are. They're probably lower end of the massive scale for distilleries. So in twenty twenty one, they're planning to produce how much? Two point five million liters. I mean, I suppose their capacity is probably a wee bit higher than that. But uh, I think their capacity is well, over three million. But that's never really anything to go by, you know. Uh, that would uh, be working twenty four seven three six five, you know. I tell you, I tell you, they, they, I heard that story about Glenfarclas, and it is a very boring story about that. Um, so I drive past the Turnupford Glenfarclas quite a lot, heading to work, um, and they have relayed that road outside Glenfarclas about four times, once a month, in the past four months, they've relayed it about four times. It is the best road in Scotland. I told you before. Ah, is that the A9, is it? No, no, this is, so you turn off the A9 after having more, then you turn right to Grant, and you drive past, what, Ballandalith Distillery, which I'm very interested in, because it's a lovely looking distillery from the outside, then you pass Tormore Distillery, which we spoke about in previous podcasts, then Glenfarclas is just up the hill, and uh, <laughs> Bear Scotland are doing one hell of a job up there, I'll tell you that much. They're doing a bear job up there. For for my southeast southeast English fans, <laughs> they'll know what that means. A bear job. I was I was, I was trying to think where bear came from in that sort of context, but yeah, south, 
Southeast England, that's that. <laughs> uh, so the final thing I'll speak about with Glen Farkless in terms of just their kind of their site and their 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 production is they've got thirty eight Dunnage warehouses on site, with four more to be added. It's incredible, isn't it? So see when you speak about the mustiness and stuff like that that they get from the, the lower cut and the 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 heart. Do you then throw it into that old damp damaged warehouse that adds that that it starts to you've started off with a spirit that's got that sort of flavour profile and then it's obviously going into the sherry cask which matches quite well on the meatiness and then it's in a damaged warehouse so that's even adding to it more so the the sherry the all are also cast I presume the all are also cast and the, the location the casts are maturing and the spirit itself are all working in tandem there to produce the style that Glenn Farkles are looking for yeah I think you're right um and I kind of want to go back to, you mentioned the Patterson brothers earlier, did you? When yes. Who went into business with uh, the grants of Glenfarclas uh, back in 1895. And, yes. uh, and by 1898, Patterson, uh, the Patterson bros uh, of Leaf, I believe, they went bankrupt. Yeah, Patterson bros. Um, they went bankrupt, basically, and this caused the whiskey crash of the late 19th century. And we've spoke a lot about uh, Whiskey Loch um, and that whiskey crash, and that's probably the most, or the more well-known one, because it's probably nobody's alive from 1898. Um, but um, people can remember the Whiskey Loch of, of what, the 1980s, was it, Ronan? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, but this crash was the the first um, was the end to the kind of first golden era of uh, Scotch whisky, and I did a, a reading on this, uh, which is quite interesting. So this this crash, the Patterson crash, caused a great amount of closures, which uh, caused about a one third reduction of production in nine years. The prior kind of 80, 90 years to the crash had been a boom period, you know, starting with the 1823 Excise Act, which is why, which basically allowed illegal distillers to create their whiskey legally. And that's why a lot of your kind of classic distilleries start around that 1825 to kind of, yeah, because yeah, that was that act allowed distillers, illegal distillers to become legal distillers. You also had, yeah, in, in the eighteen kind of mid eighteen hundreds, I think it was eighteen thirty eight. But correct me if I'm wrong. Aeneas Coffee um, basically created the patent still, which allowed continuous distillation. So this allowed for a lot cheaper grain to be distilled and uh, in, in bulk and continuously. You had the eighteen sixty added Spirit Act, which allowed spirit to be stored and blended under bond. So this was a massive uh, game changer for whiskey producers. You could now create whiskies behind closed doors, not pay tax on them. No, you'd only have to pay tax on them when they went to market. So a massive boost to whiskey distillers. This has also covered maturation. Um, yeah, re- really allowed kind of the blenders to come into the market. In the 1880s, you've seen the 
Philoxera bug uh, devastating the French brandy industry uh, because what it did is it ate up all the grapes and then a few years later there's no brandy left. Uh, we spoke about that before as well. This is why in the late 19th century you've seen companies marketing their own blends and this was really the birth of Black and White, Jurors, Johnny Walker, White Horse. This was the start of these big blending houses. I mean, it's something huge. I know we've spoken about Johnny Walker before and what they've done to the Scottish whisky industry, but you look at things like Black and White, J&B, White Horse. Huge, huge blending brands. That you see J&B now and then, but Black and White and White Horse, massive brands. Are probably still massive plants in some countries around the world, but not necessarily here in Scotland. Well, White Horse is one of those ones that um, does. Does it have really old talisker in it or something? Is that what White Horse is? It has something that was really sought after. So there's a few times I've been looking at the auction sites and I've seen a bottle of White Horse and I've thought, oh, well, I'll go for it, just you know, just to try it. But that is literally just down to hype. I've never met anybody who's tried White Horse. I don't think I've just heard people going on about it. So. If you want to bottle of White Horse, you can make really good money off it. I don't know how good it is to drink. If you open it, then I wouldn't mind a wee try. But um, yeah, that's it. But I was, I was, I was speaking to a, a experienced blender recently, and, then, and he was speaking about the whiskies that were produced before that went any blends and stuff, or whiskies that are produced today. And he's, he, I guess a lot of people think it, but to hear someone that's spent so long in the industry just say that the whiskies that are being produced just now, the blends that are being produced just now, of such higher quality down to the fact that the distillation process is so more refined and mathematical rather than just sort of being passed on from stillman to stillman or generation to generation. And the cask management that has been used now is, is so much better than what was used, been used before. So you look at these blends from 40, 50, 60 years ago, they just, they were good then, they were big brands then, but um, it made the brands sort of infamous, but with the same stuff would stack up against some of the blends that were happening today, like a Joy Walker Black, which is a phenomenal blend, to, actually any single malt blend to any single malt now, it just couldn't stack up. Yeah, no, I'd actually, I'll finish this wee point about Patterson, then I'll, I'll kind of pose you a question, because uh, okay. what you've said there is, probably quite true uh, very true it's, I think it suits this question as well so so basically this boom of the kind of late 18th century uh, as with all uh, kind of things there's, there's boom and crash and basically the Patterson brothers spent big uh, they speculated to accumulate uh, they spent big on advertising they bought shares in malt and grain distilleries and also shares in Edinburgh Brewery uh, eventually creditors including DCL and other kind of well-known names they came calling and uh, yeah and the business crashed the old knock at the door from the where's my money brigade came and uh, Patterson brothers of leaf um, oh, well the house fell like a like a deck of cards basically uh, the company stopped <laughs> it folds like a house of cards the house, the house folded like a deck of cards. Better. Uh, the company's stock were actually found to be uh, inflated. Uh, so they were misrepresented and the Pattersons were found guilty of fraud and embezzlement. 
this had a great kind of knock-on effect on the industry. It actually affected a lot of people's uh, opinion on the quality of, of Scotch whisky. And so there was 159 operational distilleries uh, in uh, the turn of the century, so 1900. And by 1933, there was only 15 in, in operation. Now, I know there was the First World War, um, but people still needed a drink during the war. Uh, yes. Unlike yeah. the other thing, there's been two two bros feeling just yeah. up to no good. Yeah. Inflating it, inflating a few prices. Yeah, but somebody. But the, the, such a huge effect. But it's almost it's almost similar to other crashes you've seen in other markets. You know, global. It's it's not just Patterson Brothers of Leaf that have been doing it. It's the whole industry. Just Patterson mm. Brothers of Leaf just went that bit too far. They just wanted a wee bit, a too big a slice, and they uh, toppled down the the house of cards. <laughs> Did I get that one right? Uh, like a house of cards can fall, a deck of cards can, because it's not going to be flat. They can if you drop it. <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that's that's an insane thing to think that because two brothers essentially got caught doing something they were the fall guys they were the yeah. they were the ones that got caught and everybody sort of you would presume cleaned up their act for who was left and the fact these two guys essentially was the biggest factor of such a massive loss of distilleries is it's quite a mad thing to think if something like that was to happen today it would be yeah, and that's what I was kind of speaking about with your previous point, because you were saying how this master blender was saying the production techniques are so much more scientific, maturation management is so much more controlled. Um, do you think that would translate into, well, the potential economic crash that we're going to have due to the pandemic and stuff like that and I know you're not an, an economist or anything but do you think the sure footing that the whiskey industry has right now is enough to ride out the storm that is probably about to happen mm, it's, so a, it's a hypothetical question because you, like, yeah. you can never answer I mean, it but to- the, whiskey, the, whiskey, the whiskey industry I guess it's more it obviously it's definitely more electronic nowadays but when you look at the time where there used to be excise runs sitting in um, looking after a few distilleries and would sit on filling day and, and count the litres of alcohol that were being filled probably actually uh, um, because of overinflation and, and, and stuff like that that um, the parts and bros might have been up to so it, we've actually got to not a more relaxed when it's more regulated than it's ever been but you've just not got that same sort of hands-on approach from I guess HMRC looking at every single little thing you do all the time yeah it's more it's more like so, it's more like uh, it's like self-checking, uh, but it's still so so harsh if you like miss a deadline quarterly return or whatever for the amount of spirit you've produced. I mean, I don't think they take many prisoners. Maybe you get off with it once and you have a a month to get it in or something. But I mean, if you miss that again, you're probably getting heavily fined or a percentage of what your um, turnover or something if it goes that far. Yeah, it's. It's not. It's not quite the exciseman sitting in the warehouse and also like being steaming the whole time and stuff like that. But it's like it's like things like warehouses used to have exciseman keys and um, I guess workman keys. So you could turn up at seven o'clock to a warehouse to do your shift to remove casks to to, to put casks in at seven o'clock. If the exciseman doesn't turn up till nine o'clock, you're not doing any work. 
yeah, you used to well, you used to have permission to move any any cask. You know what I mean. You also um, used to have if, you used to have a good. Basically, had keys to every warehouse. Yeah. If, to work in it. if he wasn't there. No, that's what I mean. Like, if you wanted to go into a warehouse, you had to like get him to open it. Whereas now you go to a distillery, you can walk through it, and I mean, if you could probably walk like not for long, you'd probably get told to get out. But you as a dual blog member of public you could easily get into a warehouse I mean distillery warehouses are probably open all day they will be closed in the evening I mean they're not not yeah I mean you wouldn't get out there with like a cask you probably wouldn't even go out there with a drink but I just mean like if you wanted to you could walk into a distillery and get pretty far whereas bef- back then you obviously wouldn't have been able to yeah, yeah. to any potential thieves in the area there are no warehouses open in the Abelower area of Scotland <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're, we're Glenfartless is up Ballandalloch, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, just yeah. And it's north of Ballandalloch, I guess. Is it right? Okay. No worries. Um, do you want to move on to the next segment, or do you want to run through a kind of kind of finish of the dram? Well, I mean, I, I don't really have much more to add apart from it's quite a long finish. Um, I don't really give many whiskies that long finish title, uh, but it's very buttery. Uh, and it, yeah, it's just a. It's kind of almost the perfect winter dram. I mean, it's really cold where I am right now. Uh, it's well, last night. It was like waves crashing, like that, so much. It was a bit stormy. This dram's absolutely perfect for this kind of weather. Um, and yeah, really enjoyable dram at a kind of reasonable price as well. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm more chuffed with. It. I would, I would even go out and get a bottle for myself just so I had one. I had one here. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I think. Well, we spoke about before about how there is the obvious shariness to the whiskies, but it offers something something else behind it. It's not just full of sherry flavours and the Christmas cake and everything that, that goes along with it. I find in the finish it is just a sort of elongated sort of sherryness. It is just Christmas cake, brown sugar, cherries and raisins. You get in the finish and it just slowly sort of fades out. I agree. I don't think it's quite a long finish. It's very, very enjoyable. Um, I'm glad for this one that I bought the bottle and you got the three seal. Yeah. I think why your sound's so bad is because your sound's only picking up off my laptop so it's like the noise of you speaking is coming off my laptop which is then going into my mic whereas my sound's coming from the mic so it's almost like we're just sharing a mic mm-hmm. right um which isn't bad now i've realized we can sort it and i don't think that happened last time so it's obviously just the way it's set up this time the way it's set up this time which is whatever we'll know for next Oh no, for next time. Um, do you want to go through my next segment or do you want to leave that for... Ne- uh, well, take next segment and jingle, please. Um, well, this one doesn't have quite a name, but we can come up with one. So basically, I've got this book, which is the A to Z of uh, whiskey, which this is, okay. a, this is a Thursday night. I was flicking through it last night. If you're on Instagram, you'll realise that was Wednesday night and you could pinpoint the exact time that we're recording this and you can find out that I'm in Oban tomorrow but the podcast won't be released the next week so it's fine in case you wanted to hunt me down or something but right okay so this book is the A to Z of uh, whiskey 
It's uh, by Gavin D. Smith. And basically, it's just got all the whiskey words you could ever think of. And there's some really interesting words in it and all that. And basically, I was thinking, just open the page randomly, pick out a word that I think looks funny, and then just tell you what it means. Okay, that's, that's a lot better. That's a lot better than I thought you were going to ask me to guess what that word means. <laughs> well, yeah, that'll be the first one. But I mean, I, I won't. I'll tell you what it means right away. It won't be like, okay. oh, we'll wait to next week. Next week. What, yeah, what do you think? What do you think a name for this segment? I'll come up with a pun for it for next week. I can't think of one just now. I think like something like whiskey words or something like that is obviously the obvious one. But I, I'm quite a one for an obvious name. Mm-hmm. Um, words on whiskey right, okay <laughs> and and the jingle can be Foo! words on whiskey that was our American well was right so I'm going to open it at a random place well, let's have a wee look okay uh, right start with the letters and then pick a word and then... right okay so why don't we go for uh, D. So well, I've opened it a D, and I was just looking to see if there was a word there that kind of suited suited what I was going to say. And there, there is, there is a word that I kind of like the look of. Uh, I've never even heard of it myself. It okay. is in Scottish Gaelic, but it's also got a kind of Scots version of it. So I'll be able to pronounce it. It is Duckin Doris. So in in Scottish Gaelic, it's uh, Dioch and Doris, I would think. Uh, but I think in kind of Scots, it's Doc and Doris. Any Doc idea? And Doris. Doc and Doris. Any idea what that means? No, actually, I've, uh, I've not got the faintest of idea for that. Name. So, well, that's quite interesting. So, this expression is a translation of the Gaelic for a drink of the door, um, which basically means one for the road. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, so the phrase has been in use from the late 18th century to the present day and is well understood by both Gaelic and non-Gaelic speaking Scots. So if you wanted to say, Doc and Doris, I drink at the door, basically. You would, uh, I drink for the road. Um, you've, you, I know for a fact we've had many drinks for the road. For the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I presume it's probably more commonplace up the east coast of Aberdeenshire and then across space down the highlands and stuff, uh, a phrase like that. And maybe on the islands as well, actually. Um, maybe not, definitely not so much in uh, Glasgow. Doc and Doris. Yeah. One for the ditch. One for the ditch, I've heard. But not Doc and Doris. One for the ditch. Uh, that's after the one for the road. <laughs> that's the one you take, actually, for the road. That is, that is a, that's the road to be a... Or the road Goldie, because I've just opened it a G. Any idea what a Goldie is? A Goldie or a Goalie? Goldie. Like that guy that was uh, on Big Brother. Goldie. Goldie Lynchane. And what would a Goldie be? I think I know this. I've not looked, but I think I know what it is. Um, with having no clue, I will guess if for some reason a distillery dog that used to be a golden retriever. No, it's a, it's a, it's a dram. Uh, it's an affectionate Scots term for a glass of whiskey. Obviously, obviously, with reference to the drink's colour, and often prefixed with the uh, diminutive we. So you'd have a wee goldie. Yeah, I've never heard of that. 
So uh, at Edradour Distillery in Perthshire, when dramming was still practiced, each worker received a daily ration of three drams, all raw, white spirit, straight from the still, and a final going home. Going home, those were measured golden whiskey. This was also known as three whites and a goldie. Alright, okay. That's actually pretty shit from Edradour because I've heard some like cla- class stories about like workers used to get pretty good stuff. Like it wasn't it wasn't the cheap rubbish. It was pretty good stuff they used to get. But well, the, the the classy one I heard in, uh, from what distillery in Camelton and um, what they used to do in Camelton was just turn up turn up a wee barrel, maybe a hogshead, turn up a wee barrel, take the cask end off it, and just give all the workers a glass, and that would last them the week. So you could you could drink all on the Monday theoretically, but you'd have to go to the following Sunday to to get a new one. Um, so. Three white and a goldie. It's not the most glamorous offer from Edradour. Maybe their stuff was really, really good. Maybe it's, three whites was pretty decent. It's um, well, it's um, it's a mashup of children's books, isn't it? Three whites and a goldie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite know what they are. I don't quite know the mashup. Snow white, Goldilocks. And there's a three, three and the three bears, right? So it's three whites and a goldie. Aye, I knew it was somewhere in there. Uh, and the final one, I'll open it. In the final space. Oh, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of ones I want to go for. Why don't we go for Tresterig? Tresterig. It's T R E S T A R I G. Tresterig. I've got no clue. I'm reading on a wee bit. I'm going to say it's something to do with the ground or earth. Okay, wrong. Uh, So, uh, in the Outer Hebridean island of Lewis, uh, a writer noted that the air is temperately cold and moist for the corrective... The natives use a dose of Tresterig or Uskibe. So he describes Tresterig as an aquavitae, three times mm-hmm. distilled, which is strong and hot. So three times distilled, no mixed spirit, but they're probably not making the cuts right. It's strong, it's hot, and it was apparently made of oats rather than barley. It's uh, interesting that it was triple distilled, though. Yeah, so it was. Tresterig comes from two Gallic words meaning triple strength. Um, mm-hmm. And it's noted that there's very little known about Trester Rig, but that, that's probably what Uskibe or Aquavite originally was. It was raw, it was probably not oats. There's this kind of misconception that Scottish whiskey was always made with malted barley. No, it wasn't. It was made with the cheapest thing that you had available, uh, that you could get sugars out of, that you could make a beer that you could distill. Real traditional Scotch whiskey is mixed mass Scotch whiskey, and I'll I'll bang my drum on that, and I'll I'll not let anybody tell me any different. the The idea that malted barley is the most traditional thing, and it is now law, of course, that you have to use malted barley to make Scotch whiskies, isn't that traditional. Um, but it's all about how far you go back and who you listen to. If you, if it's in, if if it came out tomorrow that Scotch whiskey 
should be mixed mashes as in malted barley, unmalted barley, oats, rye, whatever, and Diageo were behind it, you'd soon see uh, you'd soon see the, the laws change. The laws change. Um, but basically, Tresta Reg was a triple distilled raw oat kind of derived spirit that was um, pretty well known in the Lewis and the Hebrides. Um, but yeah, pretty interesting. What did you think of what was this segment called again? Whiskey Words. And the jingle is here. Um, but yeah, what do you what do you think of that one? Has that got the same legs as Malt Busters? So it's quite it, it, it's quite interesting, especially because it's not phrases. If it's phrases, we don't know. Everybody's learning. Because learning is fun. Yeah, learning is fun. I'll never remember those words. I've got Doc and Doris. Doc and Doris, one for the road. Dragon Doris, Chesterick, Goldie. Goldie. I, I knew Goldie. It's like an, an, old ma- an old man in a pub would say, like, give us a Goldie hen. Even if it's a barman, give us a Goldie hen. <laughs> long, long day. Long day. Long day doing the pitch. He's a Goldie. <laughs> I have been down Scotland's last gold mine. No, gold mine. Coal mine. <laughs> And I am, and I am looking for a gold mine. I am looking for a gold. Desperate need for a goldie. Right. Well, we See, if it's an old whiskey, would you call it a golden oldie? You could do. You could do. I'm trying to think of a children's book pun for golden oldie, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there for next next podcast. Um, yeah. So I think it's probably time to move on to the whiskey news. Uh, I think it's probably time to move on to the Scotch Whiskey League. Okay, so I've got the Whiskey League here. I'll just run through it. 1 to 10. Long Road Red, 12. McNean, Glen Scotia, Tony Port at number 3. We then have the two local barleys, 4 and 5. Um, one bourbon, one sherry. We have the Klein Leash, 14. The Anok, 15. Ben Nevis, 10-year-old. The Glen Kinchy, 12-year-old at number 9. And then the Bunahaven, Sturadar at number 10. And, and then we have to place in the Glen Farkless 15 year old to 46% Sherry Cast Mature. I think we could both agree that it's probably, well, definitely for me, making the top 10. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. It's, I think, I think, yeah, yeah, I would agree. It's just where it goes inside that top 10 is probably the contentious. Can you run? Is it is it better than the Springbanks? Hmm. Is it in the middle of the Springbanks? Because I, I think I, defi- I, I think, think I definitely preferred the shaded Springbank, but that was at number four. But I th- probably think I prefer this Glenfarclas fifteen than the Bourbon Springbank. You know, I'm, you know, I might, I might. We've done a lot of agreeing, not enough arguing. I think it's better. I would rather drink this Clonfarthus fifteen than drink the Klein Leash. If I was given the mm-hmm. if I was given the option, I think if I was given mm-hmm. two whiskies, I would I would pick the Clonfarthus over that. So it means it's definitely above that. Yeah. Is it above above the Springbanks? Um, I, you know, I think potentially. I Potentially, but I think actually a true place for it would be nestling in between the Springbanks. It probably is better than the Bourbon. Mm-hmm. I think, 
I think if I had more of a drama, I could argue the case that it was better than the the Springbank. Yeah. Uh, the other the the Sherry Cast local barley. I actually think if you were sitting with both of them, the the Sherry local barley and the Glenfarclas fifteen side by side, it would be easier to do a comparison between the two. Yeah. But because going off a of memory in the Glenfarclas has recency bias. Mm. Um, I'm sort of because of recency bias I'm sort of edging to the I'm trying to counteract that and put it below it yeah you've also got to think you've also got to think like I am partial to like a cash strength dram as well so I always sometimes think cash strength I mean I just prefer the flavour I think it's more aggressive I think it's more in your face mm-hmm. this was a 46% dram it was extremely boldly flavoured it was a bit different the great story family owned mm-hmm. um yeah we're basically, we're basically talking the exact same story as Springbank yeah but one was local barley sherry cash strength and the other one was well to get the barley from the east coast of Scotland I guess quite local but not local as the local barley Springbank but 46% sherry yeah, no, I th- I think so. Would it, so you said it would slot in between the local barleys, which would make it fifth. I'm saying it would go in in fifth place, beneath the sherry local barley Springbank and above the bourbon local barley Springbank. Okay, I can get on board with that. Yeah. If we did ties, if we could be asked remembering these sort of things, I would probably put them the two sherry, the sherry Springbank and the sherry Clonfarquhar, obviously, and I'd probably put them side by side. Yeah, if we can, but I would have to sit with them side by side. Maybe, maybe a future podcast. Yeah, I definitely think we need to not bring the whiskey league to an end, but we definitely need to go into like a playoff stage where we battle it out between different ones we, and all that. We always kind of agreed we'd do that. It's now become a wee bit harder. Um, we best do that soon. Ah, because before, before because things, things like finish the twenty port Glen Scotia. <laughs> ah, before it's actually gone from like yeah. nipping into it once in a while. Um, ah, we need to have a good think about that. We went. I I went through a definite kind of quiet period, and I was thinking like I will like write a blog about stuff and all that, but that just just totally went to to jot. Um, so there needs to be a a a period of thinking what we're going to do to to bring the whiskey league not to an end. The whiskey league can live on, uh, but because I'm sick, I'm sick of that long row at the top. I want a whiskey to come in. And to be honest. I tasted the McNean recently, and I don't know. You don't know what we're thinking. I don't know what we were thinking. See, that's the thing. I mean, I don't want to discredit the Scotch Whiskey League, the OG segment, but they're definitely earlier earlier on in the in the podcast recording where we would have like a few beers before recording, and then like then the whiskey was brilliant. Then the whiskey we got, and then it was like a few beers during recording, like. The whiskey was just as good, but our animation was probably a lot, a lot greater. Like, and I'm we we can we number ten the the Bunahavis Sturadar, which is now going out of the league. Yeah. But the, then I look above it, and the Glen Kinsey twelve year old is above it, and I to me I would much rather. I know it's obviously two people's decisions, but I'd much rather try the Bunahavis Sturadar than a Glen Kinsey twelve. Right. Fuck. And, fuck the whiskey league. We only 
We'll run through it quickly and then I'll go through the new and the real whiskey leak. Which is malt busters. Okay, so the Whiskey League as it stands now, long row red two-year-old, the Dignean, who knows why it's there, single malt, the Glen Scotia 24-14-year-old, nearly finished. We then have the Sherried Springbank, local barley, cast strength, uh, closely followed by the Glen Farkless 15 at 46%. We then, we then have, in sixth place, the local barley Springbank bourbon cast, not as good as the sherried one, Kleinish 14 Anuk 15, Ben Nevis 10-year-old. Don't know why it's there, Glen Kinchy 12-year-old at number 10. But, and also both Glen Kinchy and Ben Nevis are gone. Aye. Not, not forever, but they're definitely drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Distilleries are gone. Uh-huh. I've actually finished the Glen Leach 14 as well. I've got a distillery exclusive that I could palm off as the same thing. But um, Still get that Nick Neen, though. Try to give that away. I wouldn't mind another, wouldn't, another try of that, the, a revisit. The, the, the dog wouldn't even take the nickname. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you wouldn't wash the floor with that. No, you would. It's good. Uh, Great bleach for the floor. <laughs> nah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind trying again. It's, um, well, actually, on... It's good. on it, it, is a, it is a good dram. I just don't think it's... On that, saying say, say that, saying that, it is kind of... It's it's I know I hate when folks say it's all about the setting and the atmosphere, but it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. It's true, definitely, because I went on a fishing trip recently on a on an actual boat somewhere between Scotland and North. The fashion. Uh, somewhere between Scotland and Northern Ireland, I was fishing, uh, and at the end of the trip, the captain uh, uh, Harold. There was two captains. What uh, one was Harold? One was Alec, I think. I don't know why there was one was like the entertainer, one was the driver. I felt, I felt. Uh, but at the end well, of comedy duo act, they were quite funny as well. They'd be, they were old timers, so they'd like we went on. Uh, we had a, we had a few beers. We caught a load of fish. Um, the freezer's absolutely full, and. Um, at the end of it, I don't really know why they didn't do it at the start, maybe to stop us being, I don't know, drunk or whatever. It was not like we were drunk and rowdy, we were actually there to fish. Um, but at the end of it, they were like, do you want a dram? And we are like, yeah, actually we would. We'll, we'll kind of, the weather turned a bit, it got a bit colder. And they whipped out a bottle of Jura, like 10 or something. And I, and I was like, Oh, oh, like no. I was like, oh, like I'll, I mean, I'll drink it, and they gave us like the massive, like do you know the wee, a big dram, uh, do you know like the wee tasting glasses that you used to get at distilleries, like just like yeah. I don't know what you call them, snifters or tasting glasses. I'm on about <clears throat> like, it was like filled near to the brim, it was like a big dram. There was three of us. You were uh, hoping for a decent wave. Aye, aye, but. I'll tell you, it actually tasted really nice. Like I, 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 t- I tasted it, I sipped it, and I was like, "That's really good." And we ha- we'd been out, we'd been out a wee bit the night before, so I actually think it suited as well. Because I, if I drank a Jura normally, I'd be like, "That's water," but because it was the next day, it was ten o'clock in the morning. The next day, after a few pints the night before, I was like, "That's actually quite all right." And but you're talking on a fishing boat, sea air, freshly caught fish sitting there. A nice glass of Jura combining with all that. Yeah. Was it, would, well, I actually made a glass of Jura, a, a, a half decent glass of Jura. Yeah, no. I, I, I think that's the case, and that kind of translates to the Nian. Um, in terms I of. I've before. It's about Jura. It was the first first drama I ever tried, I think, when I, would, I had been 18. Um, 
and somebody bought it in a pub and they said, oh, I tried this Jura, I really like Jura. I tried it and I think I swore off whiskey for what would have been about three years. Having never drank whiskey before or anything like that, it was my first whiskey and I just thought, but whiskey tastes like that, I'm never trying it again. Um, yeah, I'm definitely not a fan, definitely not a fan of Jura, but it did taste quite nice on that boat. Um, move on to a wee re- recap of the, the malt busters. Uh, so, yes. so basically you would have heard it earlier on. If you've listened this far into the podcast, you would have heard this earlier on. But I'll give you three cryptic clues and you have to guess the distillery. And when I'm saying you, I mean the listeners. Please get in touch if you uh, get any of these because there will be a winner. We're yet to decide the prize. Yeah, I think you actually need to be very careful what you give out as prize. Like you can't really have competitions. I think we can give it a shout out. We could let you come on to the podcast. We'll give you a shout out. Depend. Well, yeah, you can come on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Present your present your dram. Ah, that's fair enough. I think that's quite a good prize. Uh, if you don't want to win the prize, please still send us a message and just when we say like you've won, just don't reply to us. Like understand if you just want to win and whatever but basically I'll give you three cryptic <laughs> clues and you have to guess the distillery so uh, an example from earlier on was Chuckling Amphibian and that is Laugh Frog so Laugh Chuckling Laugh Amphibian Frog Laugh Frog right okay you get it the other one's a wee bit longer but just because it's more words just split it up and think about it so number one a pirate welcomes the host of the weakest link and I think it, I think if there's a new weakest link, as in in the last like five years, if there's a new host, then just disregard that. Go for the old host. So that was a pirate welcomes the host of the weakest link. Number two, two point five centimeters. Which area do you wish me to travel to? So that was number two. And the clue is, two point five four centimeters. Which area do you wish me to travel to? Like as a question. And number three is a Scottish valley with Frodo's fellowship and the Argentinian Marxist revolutionary of Cuba. So that was a Scottish valley with Frodo's fellowship and the Argentinian Marxist revolutionary of Cuba. Do you think, do you think we need like, um, like an initial, like the start of the distillery or do you think you just need a wee bit of time to think about it? give the people time we'll see what the response is and if um, if no one gets it right we can uh, then make it a little easier for everybody in following segments and future podcasts okay yeah that's fine uh, we'll see how it goes and then we'll work from there yeah they're definitely not meant to be really easy but they're I think I think once I give you the answers next podcast you'll be you'll be kicking yourself also, I have some great, great like collages on Instagram where you can see distilleries where we visited, and you can guess which ones. But, but most, most of the dist, most of the, what are you laughing at? Most of the dist, I've got great collages. <laughs> most of the distillery. Check out, check out my Pinterest. I've got uh, great collages yeah. on. Most, most, 
Because we stopped drinking beer on the podcast, we don't have a beer middle post, and I've just ran out. I've just ran out of stuff, so just making collages. Well, the pictures we took ourselves, like the pictures we took ourselves yeah. at distilleries, and you can go and guess them. And um, most of them have the name of the distillery in them, even though one <laughs> one person said, "I can't get that one." They got every other one yeah. right, including all the hard ones, uh, but they couldn't get the one that said Klein Leash, like clearly. <laughs> But no, thanks to that guy because he he was quite he was quite um, engaging. You know what I mean? He he, he was. And, and so the, the the message you have now given to listeners is be engaging. Well, <laughs> well they will then call you. Out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can follow us on Instagram, uh, follow us on Twitter, email us at caststrengthpodcast uh, at gmail.com. You'll find all that information on Instagram um, and Twitter, of course. Uh, you'll follow a link to all the podcasts we've produced so far. But, um Apart from that, I think it's goodbye from me. Yeah, goodbye from That's still from another show as well, isn't it? No, it's it's Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge. You would say it's a it's a it's a goodbye from me, and I would say it's a goodbye from him. All right. Okay. Anyway, right. See you later. Anyway. Okay,